0: So as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, because as we're meant to see here, Jesus sees and helps two individuals who are struggling. And yet for us, we get the chance to read the entire passage to see beginning to end. But for these people, they were there with Jesus. They were learning this which is why we're going to take it a step at a time to help us better understand what faith is all about, especially as we work our way to the end of the passage. One of the responses to the healing power of Jesus was for people to laugh at what Jesus said and what Jesus was about to do. So even as we consider together this topic about faith and the power for God to provide healing, it already addresses two of the common responses, if we don't watch it, when it comes to the power for God to heal. The first one is to be in a world, and for many places and cultures, people might say, well, it's impossible for God to heal. It'd be for people who would say that they don't believe in the supernatural or miracles. Even perhaps as you've tried to talk about this with people or trust God yourself, this is perhaps some of the ways that you've talked to people or tried to share with them. Well, today in Mark chapter five, as we're going to see, the power of faith is not a laughing matter. This passage addresses people who might consider that God doesn't have this ability. But on the other side, if we don't watch it, another response to God's power to provide healing is for people to say that there'd be an emphasis on just having enough faith. If you believe hard enough, then God will heal you if you are sick or if someone else is sick. It actually addresses even, sadly, people who have Declare that they are faith healers, that they have the supernatural ability to pray for you. And if you just come to them and if you have enough faith or if you give enough money incredibly, then perhaps you'll be healed and they have that ability to heal. That's actually what led has led a lot of people to even dismiss the idea of healing altogether, to even scoff or make fun of people who believe those sort of things. And again, here in Mark chapter 5, what we're going to see is Jesus addresses that issue as well when it comes to healing faith. So we'll take it a step at a time, and maybe if you've read this before or even this morning as we read it, consider how these people responded to Jesus as we take a look together together about how healing faith is of no laughing matter. We'll begin in Verses 21 through 24 to set up the first issue with the first individual who came to Jesus with a need. Mark chapter 5 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. The first individual is given a name here, Jairus, and we're even told a little bit about him. He was in charge of the worship community at this time in history, the synagogue. He would have been the head or the president, trusted along with other leaders to oversee people coming together to worship God. He would have had many connections. He would have been trusted and well-known. But even with all of his authority and all of his resources, that couldn't help him when it came to his daughter. Consider how tough that would have been for him to struggle with wanting to help out his daughter. Even with all of his resources and influence and connections, he realized this was beyond him. Which is why it would have been shocking for people to see this man of authority, this uh, respected person, Jairus, coming to bow down at the feet of a Jewish carpenter, Jesus. It would have gotten their attention to say there was something going on. He was dealing with the hurt and emotions of fearing the worst for his daughter. But he came to reach out to Jesus, hoping it wasn't too late, hoping that maybe Jesus, after hearing what Jesus has done already at that time, maybe Jesus would listen and help. And amazingly, there in verse 24, Jesus agrees to go. So before we continue in the passage to see what happens, what we're challenged to see is that when it comes To our own lives today, Jesus still gives hope in desperate times. If Jairus didn't come to Jesus, then he would have never found out what happened next. He didn't just hear Jesus agree to go, but he saw the great compassion that was shown. This man's daughter was sick and about to die. So he comes in desperation doing what he knew to do, laying before Jesus and asking, and hearing those incredible words that Jesus was willing to go. This is the hope that Jesus gives, even to an influential man, someone who had a lot of experiences and a lot of connections. But here we see the brokenness of a father and his love for his daughter. If this man, Jairus, did not have hope in Jesus, it would have resulted in a very different outcome. That's the power of the hope that Jesus gives when we take seriously our own need and desperation for Jesus. In fact, even though we're thinking about healing faith, what faith is all about, Colossians chapter 1 tells us how faith is connected to the hope that we find in God. Colossians 1 verses 3 through 6 says, We thank, or we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Even in this short passage, it's actually a prayer, isn't it? What a wonderful thing to pray for others. This prayer is out of thankfulness to appreciate what God is doing in the lives of others. And in this case, it's a prayer of thankfulness for the faith that people have. To, to know that their faith and love was being well known, meaning it was spreading. What a What a joyous thing to consider when faith grows in the lives of others, in our families, and in our community. But in this case, it even says it's not just a love for all people, it's a love particularly... For saints. Now, in English we use that word, but Espanol, I think, does a good job when it says todos los creyentes, meaning it's for all believers. Because sadly, using that word saint has been misunderstood. Somehow, it became something that it was never meant to be. Perhaps being a way to describe a special group of people with super spiritual faith. However, even as we see in this passage... It's a word for all believers. If you have trusted Jesus, then you are in Christ. But in verse 5, what we're told particularly about faith is that faith and love, they come from hope. Meaning that's how powerful the hope that Jesus gives is. It secures us. Now you would think that faith informs how we hope that faith should be inform the way we live. But in this case, it tells us that faith grows, is nurtured, is built up because of this secured hope that Jesus gives. Verse 5 tells us it's secure and it's kept for us where? In heaven. Hope points us upward. Hope points us to the future promises that we have about who God is that Jesus has come to give us eternal, everlasting life. That our lives are to be informed by the promise of eternity in heaven. This is why Jesus tells us that in heaven, things happen very differently than when the way things happen in our lives. He says to, to store up treasures in heaven, meaning live in light of treasuring heaven. Live in light of the hope of heaven to have heavenly treasures, to value the way God values things. Because as Jesus taught, here on earth, things decay. Things get older and rust and moth destroy. That's why Jesus here with Jairus, whose daughter is dying, he's in a very desperate situation because why? This world seems to bring out our struggles In this life, we experience vulnerabilities and limitations to even our own health. But the hope that Jesus gives, the hope that we find in him, helps us understand God's compassion and grace. Jesus saw the seriousness of the need of this father. And he takes our needs seriously. Hope is meant to impact the way we live to know that no matter what happens in our lives and in our world, God, His promises, eternity in heaven is given to us by faith through grace, which means that we live with new heavenly priorities and the hope of God's promises that nurture and inform how we think and how we believe, which is why we keep coming back to God's truth like this, to be filled with the hope that only He gives. And when we see this hope, that it's truly secure and protected and guarded for us, it prioritizes our lives. That sadly, this world can take from us. It can affect our loved ones. But what God gives can never be taken away. Nothing can destroy the work that Jesus has done. That's why we treasure him. That's why we trust that he has given it to us by the power of, of His Word. And hope reverses our perspective on life because sometimes people might think, well, that's great to be a a Christian and believe in in heaven, that that heaven is like the dessert after uh, living a life here on earth, but the reality is it's the opposite. Heaven is the meal. The life we live now is merely the appetizer. That's the power of hope. Even though Jairus at this moment, this father caring for his sick daughter, he didn't realize it. But he came to Jesus with a need, but what he got was something way bigger than he expected. When we find ourselves in desperate situations, when we see other people who are desperate and helpless, we don't have to lose hope. We're meant to hold on to all that God promises to know that God is willing and is generous to help when we're in desperate times. However, as we pick back up in verse 25, as Jesus goes along with Jairus, another individual comes who's also in a desperate situation. Picking back up in Mark 5, it said, a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So on the way to help Jairus's daughter, we see a woman, as we're told, who has been suffering for twelve years. If I did my math correctly, that would bring us back to the year 2012. Do you remember what you were doing 12 years ago? Imagine the last 12 years of your life, in addition to all the things that you wanted to get accomplished, imagine suffering as this woman had. But yet she realized she had tried everything. She had nowhere to go. So she came up with this plan a little different than Jairus. Jairus came and asked him directly, but she thought maybe she could go privately. Maybe she could go and just touch Jesus. And she did this privately, not wanting to make it public for a few reasons. One, as we're even told here, she's done it that way. She's gone to all the doctors. She spent all that she had. She's faced the ridicule time and time again to be told that she can't be healed. So maybe she thought this time she could just do it in a quiet way and nobody would know. But another reason is according to the customs of this time. For her to be bleeding like this would mean that she wouldn't be pure. She would not be clean. She would have to go through the purification process in order to be restored to be able to come to interact with people. So she came in this plan thinking that nobody would know. And yet verse 29 tells us directly after she touched Jesus, immediately she's cured. She was healed. The bleeding stopped. Unbelievable, but it's short-lived because after experiencing the relief of being healed, in verse 30, Jesus stops. He recognized that someone has reached out to him. And we don't have to wonder what's going on here because we're told he knew the power had gone out from him. He knew the exact moment this woman came to touch him. The disciples, meanwhile, even just say, Jesus, how could you ask? Who touched you? There's so many people. The better question would be, who hasn't bumped up against you? You can imagine, lots of people there. Not to mention, if you, of course, understand here, they're on their way to go and try to help Jairus' daughter. But Jesus says, no, he needs to stop everything in this moment. And he requests for the woman to come forward. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He could have just kept going, just letting it be a private thing. But he paused. Why? To make sure that this woman knows that she doesn't have to hide. And to make sure that we don't misunderstand when it comes to God's power to heal. Our next point this morning is to recognize that superstition fails but that Jesus offers faith that is life-changing. This woman believed and trusted and hoped that she could just touch Jesus, but instead of it going unnoticed, Jesus wants to make sure we don't misunderstand. This could have easily just turned into the belief that it was the clothes of Jesus that caused healing. And as we can imagine, and as this has been misunderstood, what would happen? People would say, well, let's go find this cloth. Maybe there's supernatural healing power in an object. And Jesus says, no, stop. I have something greater to show you to point out. The idea is if we did that, to put faith and hope in objects in a superstitious way, it would try to think that we could manipulate God's power and manage it on our own terms. We could use it as we see fit. That's why here to do that would be to have superstitious faith. To, sup- to believe in superstition. Even in Espanol, very similar, it's that word, superstition, right? Breaking it down, it's to have super, which means it's above and beyond, great. And then if you put the second ending on there, of stition, it's to have a, 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 a belief or a standing that's wrong, that's flimsy, that's weak. So putting it together, it's a way above and beyond belief that's wrong that won't allow you to stand firm because it is inaccurate and misinforms. So just to make sure that no one read this, reads this, or even this woman misplaces the, the faith in this object, Jesus says, no, he came to, to give something greater. He invites this woman to come forward to go bu- bu- public to say, there is no reason to hide. And we can understand this in simple ways. Sports, I think, does a good job of this, right? To have superstitions and these weird uh, ideas and beliefs. I had a person on the soccer team that I played on growing up that uh, believed every time we won a game, his socks were somehow lucky. So he would stop washing his socks uh, if we won a soccer game. And and, and it got so bad, sometimes we would be almost okay if we lost a game because then we wouldn't have to smell his stinky socks. But then we also figured maybe the other team on the field will have to smell his stinky socks that he thinks were somehow lucky the idea is that's now how it works at all there's nothing wrong of course to have a favorite jersey or a favorite clothes that we feel like we can get dressed up for special occasions but in a similar way I, I heard about a story where someone got into a taxi cab and in the taxi cab there was an object a religious uh, artifacts and they asked about it to say well why do you place that up there And the taxi driver said, well, uh, ever since I put it up on my taxi, I haven't gotten in a car accident at all. And he said one of his other taxi uh, driver friends took it out of his taxi, and as soon as he did, he got into an accident. But do you see the danger in a belief in that, to think there's somehow supernatural, superstitious belief in an object? For one, if that was true, if you could just put an object in your car, then, then car insurance, would, would they would say, don't do that, right? They would say, you need car insurance. Or what if you don't have car insurance and still get in accidents? The other side of it is much deeper. If it's just in the object, it misses the opportunity to give God thanks when we're kept safe. Or if we even do get in car accidents, to thank God that we can be kept safe even if we go through those difficult things. Superstition can be placed on objects, even as we see here. This woman was healed, but Jesus pauses to make sure to correct any wrong belief or any misunderstanding, to show that it's faith in Him, faith in what He has done for us, to know that He has come to give His life upon the cross, and to know that to believe in him is enough. As we talked about last week, we can have doubts at times, but ultimately the finished work of Jesus upon the cross means that we trust in him by grace, a personal trust, which is why we even guard against making sure that it's not Jesus plus any other things. It's not Jesus plus the object. It's not Jesus plus praying harder or praying more. It's not Jesus and giving lots of things and being generous. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And that informs how we live and how we pray and how we give. The faith that Jesus commends here, he tells the woman she can go in peace because it frees us. It frees us from guilt. It frees us from condemnation and even the fear to think that that bad things happen as a result of our lack of faith. What was at stake for this woman is that she could have met Jesus privately and have just been healed physically. But instead, what she got was something greater. She heard about life-changing faith and trust in Jesus. The gift of faith that changes how we live. It frees us to obey, not to obey God, to get saved. No, it's to know that it was Jesus' obedience for us that allows us to have faith. And it means whenever we realize our need for Jesus, even if it is a need here for healing in your life or in someone else's life, it means that we can know that God cares, that God hears us, that God has the power to heal But as we pick back up in verse 35, what we find out happens next to Jairus' daughter is something that was truly unexpected. Back in Mark 5, verse 35 continues to say, While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the, the teacher anymore? Ignoring... What they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. If you could imagine for a moment what Jairus was experiencing, would have been unimaginable. What was going on was he had just heard the worst that he had feared. It challenges us to wonder, why didn't Jesus see the urgency? Why did Jesus stop to talk to this woman, to help this woman? Why didn't he go quicker to go and help out? Because now the daughter is dead. If this happened at a hospital in an emergency room with medical professionals, if they would have gone to a woman instead of neglecting the daughter, this young girl, it would have been considered malpractice. It was not usual hospital procedure. Where was this urgency? Why would he let the girl die? Well, the reality, as we'll continue to see, is that Jesus is not done. Jairus hears this terrible news. And even though it looked like things were over, but Jesus was not finished. They weren't out of time because Jesus was just getting started. Our next point as we look about this in our own lives is that God's timing is greater than our understanding. We can understand in our own lives when it comes to understanding time that time is generally relative, not Einstein with the theory of relativity. It's depends on perhaps your, your culture or your upbringing or your family experience. I had read about a wedding where the groom was from a culture where it was typical to you know start things 15 maybe 30 minutes late and it was understood but the the uh, bride to be was from a culture where if you set a time that was the time everything started and you didn't uh, you didn't deviate from that so as you can imagine you had half of the guests showing up and things were supposed to start on time and where's the groom is everything okay did he get cold feet what's going on and then the other half of the wedding party was saying, Hey, they're just showing up. It's okay. Don't worry. We'll get started here very soon. If we were to look here with Jesus at this moment with Jairus, he ignored the fact that they just announced the girl that is dead. That's not what he sees at all. He's not bothered by the time the way we are here. Instead, he's focused on Jairus. He says, Don't worry. He says, as we'll continue to see, don't be afraid, just believe. And when we find ourselves in times where it appears like God isn't working the way we want him to work, we need to hear those words of Jesus. Trust me, he says. Be patient. Keep in mind, no one at this moment knows what's going to happen except for Jesus. But you notice that he's he's not just present here, He's looking ahead. He's not just looking ahead about what he's going to do to the daughter. But Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. And Jesus is even looking ahead past all of that to even us today to say, trust in me. Be patient. Because hearing this from Jesus means that Jesus can't be hurried. It challenges us to see the way that we try to force God to work in our timing. We can't try to understand God fully. Instead, we can't allow ourselves to think that God isn't working fast enough. God can't be delayed. We can't rush God and hurry him. It's in these moments that Jairus gets an opportunity, and for us to consider it together, to know that God truly does love us. God truly knows what's needed for this daughter. Just like he was just there for the woman a moment ago, who is suffering for 12 years. And Jesus takes this moment to reassure Jairus, just like he can for our lives. When we feel impatient and unhappy, when things aren't going the way we want them to in our lives, Jesus says, trust him. He knows what he's doing. And if we try to impose our understanding and our schedules on God, it means we're going to struggle to feel loved by him. And we know this, because after hearing the news that the girl has died, Jesus didn't give up. He continued on in the journey. They tried to explain it to him, saying, Jesus, you don't need to go. The girl is sick. She's, she's, not, she's not alive. She's not sick. She's dead. But it didn't stop Jesus from going. He just says to trust in me. And then in verse 39, as we'll continue to see, Jesus, when he gets there, he sees all the commotion and mourning and Yet Jesus knows that the girl is just needing to be woken up, saying she's sleeping. And that caused people to change from sadness to laughter. They ridiculed him. They laughed at what he was saying, saying, Jesus, we know a dead girl when we see one. You're not paying attention to what's going on. And the reality was is they misunderstood Jesus entirely. They misunderstood the way God's timing works. Jesus came to change the way that we see who God is, the way that God truly works in his timing. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told a little bit of how that works and what that looks like. 2 Peter 3 verses 8 and 9 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So to help us try to understand God's timing and how it works, He says, consider a thousand years ago. So in the year 1024, God asks us, do you know what it was like a thousand years ago? Well, the reality is none of us We're there, but to God, the last thousand years are like a day to him. God is timeless. He came before us, and the only reason we know what's happened even a a few thousand years ago, as we see here, is because God tells us and informs us. And he tells us, if we don't watch it, we're the ones in a hurry. Here in verse 9 in 2 Peter, it even tells us, God is not slow as we think of slowness, Slow in our timing would be a day or two days late or a week late. The reality is God doesn't leave us on our own. We're not meant to rely on our own timing. We're meant to rely on God and to guard against being impatient when things don't happen the way we think they should. God is not slow. God desires us to come to repentance. And in Second Peter specifically, we're told a little bit of why people we're struggling with this if you go just a little bit before this it even says that people were scoffing god making fun and laughing just as we see here with Jesus that people were laughing at his declaration for this girl to be asleep the reality is that we're meant to make sure that we are informed by what god actually says one of the things that people were scoffing at when it comes to trusting jesus and in, in, in the bible is they were pointing out that didn't Jesus say he was going to return? Didn't Jesus say he was going to come back soon? And in their lifetime, they were saying, well, where is Jesus? He hasn't come back yet. Maybe you misunderstood him. Maybe you missed his coming. Or maybe he's not coming at all. And that's why if you look right here, we need to be informed with what the Bible says. In verse 8, it says, do not forget, dear friends. Why? Why? Because we can get discouraged when people come with these attacks and challenges. Even if other people make fun, even if people bring up doubts and concerns, we need to make sure we listen to what the Bible says. God is not slow in keeping His promises. But God is patient, more patient than we can possibly imagine. He does not want any to perish. That's why we make sure we go over and over what God says to be true so we don't lose focus. And we never forget that we can be encouraged whenever we remember what jesus said that he will return or he one day he will call us home in fact the song that Lorraine had shared this morning i in fact uh, we had talked about for special music a song and i had actually said i was going to quote this in the sermon this morning from the song in christ alone and what a blessing for Lorraine to say ah i was actually just looking at that song but the final verse if you heard says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I'll stand. Jairus was learning that in this moment. Where it may have seemed like it was too late for his daughter. God is truly in charge from the beginning of life to the end. Nothing can take us from his hand. In fact, as we finish in this passage, the last verses tells us exactly what that means to know that we are held by God's power and grace. Finishing this together this morning, it says, after he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and they went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So moments ago, as we can imagine, with the death of the girl, people were mourning, crying, grieving. And then when Jesus says, no, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, their crying changed from mourning to laughter. But after seeing what Jesus did, the laughter changes to astonishment, doesn't it? And to rejoicing at the power of what Jesus came to do. The woman moments ago, was suffering for 12 years. And Jesus touched her and she was healed. But now this little girl who initially was sick, she wasn't just healed, but she was raised to life. It begins with Jesus taking her by the hand and he speaks a command saying, little girl, Tulitha, which actually, this would have been more a term of endearment than that. In English, many times mothers will, will call their, their daughters honey or, or or deer. And then the word kum in Aramaic is the word to arise. He didn't just say triumphantly with spiritual words of great, uh, loud, booming voice, raise up from the dead. He said instead, honey, it's time to get up like you would wake up your daughter from a nap. And incredibly, this little girl does exactly that. People were seeing it, they were laughing before this, but this is no laughing matter. The girl was dead, but Jesus took her by the hand to show that he has the power to raise from the dead. He does it gently and lovingly to show that even with death, there is no fear when it comes to faith in Christ. Our final point is that death has no power when you hold on to Jesus. Now, this isn't the only time where Jesus showed the power of his resurrection, ultimately going to the cross to die for sin so that we can be raised to new new life, to show that the greatest enemy, death, has now been defeated. It's powerless. And here with this little girl, he doesn't just show his power, but he shows his love in the face of darkness. In the face of death, Jesus says everything is okay. Even in the worst moments. Jesus is Lord of all. That's why this theme that we're pulling out from the Gospel of Mark, to know that Jesus is the true King of kings. Because even when it comes to death, he says it's time to get up here. To know that the cross is so important. To know that Jesus doesn't just have the power to heal, but he has the faith, that gives us faith to help us see us through. Now, bear in mind that Jairus had just lost his daughter. The woman had suffered for 12 years. It may mean that we are going to go through difficult times, the loss of loved ones, but we're all meant to face our own mortality. But that's what Jesus came to do, to undo sin and death and to give us everlasting life. He came to give himself, To give his power in our weakness. His death on the cross. Paying for our sin. So that we could have his strength by faith to overcome sin and death. Which is why in 1 Corinthians, as we had read for us this morning. It tells us to engage, to understand that there is victory over death. Without Jesus, there is no victory over death. Many people may even struggle with this, to fear, to misunderstand what the Bible says, wondering what would that be like to go through death. But we're meant to be informed by what Jesus said, that he gave his life to defeat sin and death and give us his victory by grace so that his victory is now our victory. Without Jesus, we are swallowed up by death consumed, defeated, to be separated from God forever. To be swallowed up, as it's described here, is is language like a a dangerous predator of an animal, like a bear, a shark, or a lion. To go after a helpless victim, a smaller animal that's no match for this fierce wild, uh, wild animal, would come to swallow up its victim with one bite leaving no trace behind. However, the power of Jesus and the resurrection, it does the opposite. You ever see in a movie or a cartoon where you have a, sometimes it's a small fish that gets swallowed up by a, a bigger fish, only for another huge fish to come by and swallow up that fish? That's what we're meant to see here. To know that without Christ, we would be swallowed up by death. But praise be to God, there's victory in Jesus. He is the bigger champion that he himself was put to death. In so doing, he swallowed up death completely and finally, which is why in verse 55 and 1 Corinthians 15, it asks those two questions. Death, where is your victory? Jesus' victory means death is no match for our living, risen Savior who holds the very power of eternal life. Which is why it also asks, death, where is your sting? Thinking like an insect with a stinger, a wasp, a bee, or a scorpion that you don't want to mess with because once you're stung by that insect, you experience the ongoing stinging effect to be injured. Even as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the, one of the first times I was stung was when I was a young child and took off my shoes at the playground to go play on the playground equipment. Then I came back to put on my shoes and put my foot in that shoe, and there was a bee inside and stepped on it. So I had that stinging feeling every time I walked, and I think for a long time I made sure to look in that shoe again, making sure there's no chance for any insects to get in there, right? The idea is we're meant to see here. When it comes to understanding and trusting Jesus, we see it with Jairus' daughter, even though she had been dead. Jesus raised her to life. She took her by the hand, including a woman who was suffering for 12 years. Not only was she healed, but she heard the declaration of the transforming power of faith in her life and the everlasting life that Jesus gives. We see in both of these situations a glimpse of what we can trust and know to be true forever, that Jesus not only holds the power to help us now, but ultimately beyond the grave, that death has no sting, no power when Jesus takes you by the hand. And in order for that to know that to be true, it's to trust Jesus as the true King, to know that He is in charge. In the way that was possible for Jesus to receive this crown, He had to go through the cross Himself. His death was for our gain to give us his victory. Now, these miracles of healing were just for a time and moments in history, but Christ's death on the cross brings us something greater and stronger that we can know that he will hold us by the hand to see us through. That's why it didn't work to try to rush Jesus. They even laughed at him when they heard what he was going to do because what he came to bring was something completely new and unexpected and what we so desperately need. Which is why even in 1 Corinthians, we're told that we can have nothing move us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain or it's not empty. Even if we face illness and sickness, even experience death, it's to know that God has a purpose that these things, these experiences are all temporary. But God holds the power of everlasting eternal life, which is steadfast, it's immovable, so that we can always stand firm. Would you join me again this morning as we bow in prayer? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice to know that even with all the unexpected things that can happen in our world and in our lives— that what you promise, what you give, can help us to stand firm, that we can be unshakable. We are so grateful that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who didn't shy away from the cross, but came to give his life with joy, knowing it would result in the greatest victory there ever was. That's why we look to you again today, God. That we can rest in knowing that even if people laugh, even if people scoff, and even if people try to cause doubt, that you'll see us through. That you've promised to continue to take us by the hand so that we can have the assurance of eternal life to know for those who have placed their faith and trust by grace, Responding to the call to follow you. We know that we will hear well done, good and faithful servant. When we enter into your kingdom, all because of the cross. All because of your resurrection. Would you help us to continue to have faith informed by your word. Faith informed by the secure hope that only you give in our world that struggles. Thank you for the love of Christ. We praise you and thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.